My name is David Vaughn. So great to be back up to teach today in spite of the Bengals' loss last week. Snow and rain and cold weather today. Reed sat preaching like seven minutes last week. Uh, I don't, man, Reed was awesome, y'all. I can't tell you how great and how proud we are of what God is doing. In spite of all that, it's good to be here, and we welcome our online community, which is still our largest number of folks watching, and we're glad that you're here participating. Reed ended his message last week with a really profound verse, Matthew 7. He, talked, he was talking about true and false prophets, and here's what he said, thus by their fruit you will know them. Thus by their fruit you will know them. What kind of fruit have you been seeing this week? And that very ending of his message transitions so well to what I want to share with you today. Just two verses. I want to unpack two verses. These are sayings of Jesus, and I want to talk to you about how there's a better way to do life with him. That's really what the theme of all of the Sermon on the Mount has been. But here's right after it says, Jesus said, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Here's what he said. And these verses have been haunting me a little this week. You'll, you'll hear why in a minute. Jesus said this. Not, ev- not everybody watching online, everybody in this room, everybody will watch this eventually. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, says Jesus, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, that day is like the day he comes back, the, the second coming, the judgment. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And this is what's sobering to me. Then I will tell them, Jesus says plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. What in the world did Jesus mean? Now, in this whole chapter, Jesus is casting vision of a life with him. And he's saying that living a life with me is better. Living a Jesus lifestyle is a better way. Even if there is no hell, there is no heaven, following Jesus is better. I'm convinced of it. And in this whole chapter, he juxtaposes these two options or choices that all of us have. And that's what JT and I and Reed and and, uh, and Alan have been uh, teaching on. You can choose today here in this room, watching online, you can choose the narrow gate and road or the wide gate, the wide road. You're either on the road to heaven or you're on the highway to hell. You, you can be a true prophet, we talked about this last week, or a false prophet, a wolf or a sheep. You can produce good fruit or bad fruit. And today, these two verses of Jesus are going to prove whether we are a true disciple or a false disciple. And next week, for those of you who like to read ahead, JT's going to come back and teach on, are you a wise builder or a foolish builder? Now, I think it's important to note that when Jesus made these statements here, he is not talking to non-religious people in the crowd, atheists, agnostics. He is speaking directly and specifically to people who were very devoted, very religious on the outside. They had it all looked like they had it all together, but they were compromised on the inside. They are not unlike those described by the Apostle Paul who will emerge in the church, 
the church at large, the big C church, will emerge in the last days. Paul wrote this wonderful little treatise to Timothy to mentor him as a young pastor. And here's what he predicted. And I, pre- I say to you, I proclaim to you today, that these words have come to pass right now in our age. But mark this, Paul says to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. I believe we're living in the last days. I don't know how much longer Jesus is going to wait. I'm sick of this world. Think, are, are you a little sick of all this going? Think about what Jesus thinks of it. The only reason he's waiting to return is because some of you are not in relationship with him. He's steadying his hand because of love. But in those last days, it's going to be terrible times. And here's a list. These are all the things we don't like about our world. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Why don't we just raise our hand when we get to the one that fits us, okay? No? Boastful, proud, abusive. He said this, which is odd, disobedient to their parents. Something for everybody. Students and children. I find it odd, by the way, that he puts disobedience to parents right up there in the top with murderers and thieves and all these other people. Disobedient to parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Did I not describe our culture and our world right now? And then this in verse 5 is so true on the west side of Cincinnati. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. You got the outside right. You look good. Oh, you attend church. Oh, you checked all the boxes. You got all the right things that you, you're obligated to do. A form of godliness. It look, the skin looks good. But denying a power inside. Have nothing to do with such people, he says. Have nothing to do with such people. Wow. Paul says, Jesus says that in the last days, there will be a multitude of false disciples and false teachers in the faith community, not outside the church, in the faith community. And you simply have to look around if you're perceptive and you will start to see numerous examples of this false teaching that has kind of infiltrated the big C church. Every church has it, but the big C church of Christ uh, and Christian church at large. The umbrella descriptor of this false teaching would be found under the category of what they are calling progressive Christianity that kind of promotes this kind of woke theology where the culture and the values of the world replace the culture and values of the Word of God and the Son of God. And these false disciples that are prevalent now, then and now, they try to adjust the truth because they don't like the truth, and they try to adjust the truth so that he or she does not have to adjust himself to it. And this false teaching, by the way, is not exclusive to the left or the right, liberal or conservative. False teachers are on both ends of the spectrum. This is a human problem. This is a spiritual problem that's been prevalent from the Old Testament on. And there are fake people. There are false people. False anything is never good. But seldom do you initially know that they or it is false because it masquerades as something that sounds so true and right and loving. Can this happen? Can people actually pretend 
to be Christ followers but not really be believers? Can they be posers, fakers, imposters? You know what Jesus says? Absolutely. How do you know? Well, in this text that I just gave you, these two verses, Jesus gives two clear clues about how to recognize a false person, false disciple, false prophet. Number one, they say, but they don't do. They say they believe, but they don't do anything about it. Remember what he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, oh, I, I, you're my Lord. Well, not everybody who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Their walk doesn't match their talk. This is a person who believes, but he doesn't act. And by the way, it's not enough just to believe. Here's what James says about it. Have you ever heard of a thing called demon faith? There's a lot of us, maybe in this room, maybe watching online, who have demon faith. Here's what it is. And James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And that's why I'm so thankful that we have the Life Center and Food Pantry and all these need-meeting uh, ministries because it's evidence that we are believers. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's not enough just to say, I believe. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And here we come to demon faith. You believe that there is one God. And I would say if you would poll Americans right now and say, do you believe in God? The majority of people would say they believe in God. They don't act like they believe in God, but they believe in God. He says, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And the demons are not saved. Even the demons believe. So it's not enough just to believe. Jesus is talking here about people with empty words, people who claim to follow Christ and his teaching, but they really don't. They are deceivers. They're imposters. They are living, usually, a duplicitous life. <laughs> I heard about a little boy who had been wanting to go to the zoo for weeks, and his dad would never take him. Finally, his mother talked his reluctant father into taking him, and man, they got back, and she said, well, how did it go? The mom asked the little boy when they got back home, did you and daddy have a good time at the zoo? Oh, Yes. Daddy really liked it too, especially when one of the animals came home at 30 to 1. <laughs> Got to think about that a little bit. Is what you are saying you believe what you're actually doing in your home, at your work, in your school, in the church? The first sign that someone is false is they say, but they don't do. Now, all of us don't do like we should. I mean, if, if, if the definition of hypocrisy, a hypocrite, is saying one thing, knowing one thing, and doing another, I'm one of the biggest hypocrites ever because I know a lot and I don't always do it a lot. But this is a habit, a lifestyle of, over time, just saying the words but not doing the deeds. Faith without works is dead, he says. But the second way you know is what I want to drill on most today. And this is the one that's uh, disturbing to me and somewhat complex. 
and hard to tell. Not only do they say but don't do, number two way Jesus says is, you know, you've got a false person, false disciple. They do on the outside, it's the opposite of the first now, they do on the outside, but they don't on the inside. They do all this right stuff on the outside, but there's something wrong on the inside. Just because you're right in the head doesn't mean you're right in the heart. You remember what Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons, in your name, perform many miracles. But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Now, this is a compelling and fascinating list that these people gave to Jesus as evidence that they were true disciples, even though they weren't. I mean, look at these things that these professing believers claim to have accomplished. Did we not prophesy in your name, which is preaching, foretelling, and foretelling the word? Did we not cast out demons, perform many miracles? By the way, <laughs> I'm familiar with this casting out of demons thing. Some is fake, some is real. And I'm not I'm just talking about Halloween now. Numerous times over the years, I've been asked to come over to somebody's house and cast out a demon that they thought were in their house. And can I just tell you, it's a little creepy. That's why I send another staff and elder over there. I, I don't want to, <laughs> somebody's you know, a little bit more godly. Or I don't go alone, I can tell you that. A couple years ago, <laughs> a couple years ago, some of my staff will remember this. I got this call from this guy, I said, hey, you gotta come over to my house. I got a demon over here, he's running around at night. And I said, you know, cause sometimes this, I'm just a bit skeptical. It's a little sketch. So I ask a few questions now instead of rushing over there. Because I think sometimes Satan wants to distract me from what I'm doing to go over and do stuff I shouldn't be doing. You got to figure that out. But this, this guy called said, come over, I got a demon running around. I said, well, before I go, I want you to send me a picture of the demon. Could you do that? Oh, yeah. And he sent me, and he said, here it is in the window. And I saw maybe shadow in the curtain or something. I showed it to Joe Porter, my son-in-law, some other. I said, does that look like a demon to you? No, no. So I said, before I come over, I got a few questions for you. Number one, tell me more about when you see this demon. Well, he always comes at night. We usually been drinking. <laughs> Strike one. And it's usually after we watch scary movies. So I said, before I come over, here's what I want you to do. I want you to drink coffee <laughs> instead of what you've been drinking. I want you to go up there at night. I want you to start reading the Bible. I want you to pray. And I want you to watch Hallmark, okay? Then you can go up there. It's a guy right out on Route 50. He never called back. Now, sometimes it's sketch. People just make it up. But you know what? There is a real heaven, real hell, real demon activity. I'm just telling you, it is real in our world. I have been in other situations where what little hair I had on my head and the back of my neck stood up because you were in the presence of a force that was ungodly. There's a great example of this, by the way, over in the book of Acts with some Jewish exorcists who made their living casting out demons. Can I show you this? This is one of my all-time favorite. I laugh out loud every time I read it because this is what these people who claim to be disciples were actually doing. So notice what it says in Acts 19. Paul is in Ephesus, and Ephesus is a hotbed of demonic activity. And it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I love that. Extraordinary miracles that he did. <laughs> and 
I've been wondering as well, has God done anything extraordinary through our ministry? I think he has. Has he done anything extraordinary through you? I, I, I hope so. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is where it starts to get funny. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, this is a fatal error when you're going to cast out demons. You probably ought to have a relationship with the person that gives you the power. No relationship. In the name of the Jesus, we don't know him, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Could I just stop right here? You know, right, there is no salvation by association. Some of y'all think you're getting to heaven because your mama was a Christian, your daddy was a Christian, your brother was a Christian. That's not how you get there. Friend, it has to be with you. It's one-on-one relationship. You know it or you don't. But I'm convinced a lot of people think they're going to heaven for all the wrong reasons. A lot of people, I think, if you drill down, they think they're going to heaven because they're an American. Oh, my gosh. It's in spite of America that people are going to make it to heaven some days. By the name of this Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, that's the descriptor, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. They're casting out demons in that way or trying. One day, this cracks me up, y'all. One day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Oh my gosh. When the demon says that, you better start running. I know Jesus, I know Paul, I don't know you. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. In Kentucky, we say naked. They ran out of the house naked and bleeding. We tell you to come out because of the Jesus in a... Paul I know, Jesus I know, and that evil spirit opened up a can. And Anyway, it was, it was... And it said, when this became known, all the Jews started to fear God. Well, is it, is it any wonder why? You would too. See, this is what these fake believers, so-called believers, were doing. We're prophesying, we're casting out demons. They did on the outside, but they weren't on the inside. They didn't on the inside. So this is a challenging verse here in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 here in verse 21 through 23. Challenging verses. Because real authentic Christians, real people now, sincere, those that are legit, will act on their faith. Faith without works is dead. But listen, just because you or someone is active in their faith doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't just acting out a narrative or a drama. Sometimes there is no parallel between being zealous, active, and diligent in religious work and having a sincere relationship with Jesus, or if you truly know him. Which is why Jesus says here, I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. When Jesus said, I never knew you, it was a reference to what the Hebrews would understand as the idiom to know, which represents intimate relationships. It was frequently used of marital intimacy, to know them. 
but it was also used of God's special intimacy with his chosen people. It says the good shepherd knows his sheep intimately. So Jesus is saying to them and to us, some of us, you may be active, but you're not authentic on the inside. Oh, you're building a kingdom, but it's not my kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's your definition of organized religion. It's not a true picture found in my definition of a church of people on mission and movement in vertical and horizontal relationship. And to the pretenders, Jesus says some words that are very strong. Away from me, you evildoers. Depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they, they had God's name in their mouths, but rebellion was in their hearts. <laughs> like that little boy that I shared about in church and standing up on the seats, standing up on seats during service, and his mom said, sit down. He wouldn't sit down. Sit down, wouldn't sit down. Finally, she smacked him and held him down. And he said, mama, I may be standing up on the outside. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's exactly the way most people operate. I look that way on the outside, but inside I'm full of rebellion. So I've learned in ministry the hard way that what I see on the outside may not match the reality on the inside. I've given up trying to judge. Now, I can inspect fruit based on these two conditions. But listen, I see some people all the time. They're, they look crazy. They look like they're acting all out in all kinds of weird and odd ways. And I will say to myself, if I'm not careful, they ain't going. <laughs> when in reality, they may be closer to God than me. And then on the contra, I will see people who look like they got their stuff all together all, everything's, all the boxes are checked on the outside. And then years later, I'll find out they were nothing like a Christian. Are we pretty good at faking on it? Some of y'all know you argued on the way to church today in the car. You argue, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get out, open the door. <laughs> Isn't it good to be in God's house today? I'm not sure about you, but I noticed more trick-or-treaters than ever two weeks ago. Maybe it was just my neighborhood. In fact, I didn't think we'd get many trick-or-treaters. Donna was out of town in Virginia, and I didn't even buy candy. I, I said, I'm not even going to do it. But I, 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 So I, I noticed we had a lot of, ma- man, all these kids were coming down my street. And man, mass costumes were on huge display. So I strolled over to my neighbor's house. I loved both my neighbors and acted like that was my candy. I mean, I was kind of a Halloween poser, faker myself. But when I walked over to my neighbor's, one of my neighbor's house, her name is Debbie, she was dressed up like a witch. And I said, God forgive me. I said, Debbie, you're supposed to dress up as something different for Halloween. <laughs> there might be a reason she hasn't come to church yet, but I, I um, you know what she said? Shut up, David. You're using our candy, she said, and you're over here insulting me. (laughs) But perhaps what Jesus is saying is Halloween is not the only time when people wear masks, especially in the church, in a good and a not-so-good way. Some of you have a lot going on in your life, and you're wearing that mask that I'm okay. Some of us are acting like we got that thing with Jesus, but you know in your heart you do not. 
me ask you a question. How many true or real Christians do you think there are in the United States of America? How many? If you were to guess a poll, an amount, what would you guess? Depending on the poll that you read, researchers, are you ready for this, have estimated that 65% of Americans identify themselves as born-again Christian. I say baloney. Not based on my observation, not based on the observation of Jesus here a couple weeks ago when he said, wides the way, and lots of people go through it, narrows the way, and not many go through that. Based on the Bible's description of a true believer, I don't think it's that high. By the way, that's down from previous years. Did you know this? The fastest growing category are nuns or duns, people who have no religious affiliation, or they're just done with church or Jesus. But they say 205 million people claim to be Christians in America right now. I think those numbers are highly inflated mainly because people have a faulty definition of what a Christian is. In fact, I think that's why people don't come to church, because they haven't seen what a real Christian is. They've seen a fake Christian. They've seen somebody who says they're a Christian, but they're not. They go over to their neighbor and say, you look like a witch. All kind of stuff can happen. <laughs> now, the reason I know this is I was talking to one of my family members years ago who did not display much fruit in them that would indicate to me that they were a Christ follower. Not, not much. So I asked him, you, you're a Christian? Yeah. I said, can you tell me why you think that? He said, well, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a Jew, so I must be a Christian. <laughs> that was their reasoning. So let me ask you a couple personal questions. Those of you who claim to follow Jesus or are following him, do you say you love Jesus as your Lord but you don't actually do anything Jesus said to do? Like you're obstinate, you're recalcitrant about that? There's got to be a better way. Or, and I fall prey to this temptation, are you doing the right things on the outside for the applause of men, but you're not the real deal on the inside for the applause of heaven? Do you know him in relationship? There's a, a better way. What I want today, and this is some heavy teaching, y'all. This is, this is not easy. What I want today is for all of us to do some deep introspection about these verses. Let me read them to you again. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, we all want the salvation, but we don't like the sanctification. But only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on judgment day, when it's time to decide where you're going for eternity. Didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? But I will plainly tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. Are you doing the right things on the outside, but you're not right on the inside? So what I want is for us to do some deep introspection this week. What I fear is that some of us here in this room have a false hope. We think we're going to heaven because what we did or who we know or just because you're in this building <laughs> You're no more Christian sitting in here than sitting in your garage makes you a car. You, that, that's just that's the way it is. So maybe as I close, I will share an illustration, a metaphor that I use when I talk to people about this subject because we have lots of different categories of people who are waiting to go to heaven. Imagine with me an airport terminal counter where 
folks are waiting to board a flight to heaven for eternity. And if you've been to an airport lately and you see people waiting, especially if they're on Southwest or American, this may be a real live illustration for you right now. But I've noticed there are a lot of people waiting to board. They're waiting for their zone to be called. And I've noticed there are three kinds or categories of people at that counter, in that waiting area, in the seats, holding tickets on their phone or paper ones in their hand. All of them want to go. I've not met anybody. <laughs> I really haven't. I've not met anybody that not want to go to heaven. Oh, you already have some nut, oddball person who says, I want to go to hell. That's where the party is. Well, g- good luck with that. There ain't no party. Trust me. But I've never met anybody that not want to go to heaven. But if you probe later and ask them, why do you think you're going? Now we got a conversation. Everybody waiting in this cosmic terminal, waiting to go to heaven. And three categories of people. The first category of people who are people who have a legitimate ticket. When they get up there, it'll work. They'll get on the plane. They know the captain. They're confident, not in a sinful, prideful way, but they have assurance, confidence, peace, because their ticket was paid by Jesus. They're in true relationship with him. They're not going because of anything they did. They're going because of what Jesus did. Huge difference. Here's the most frustrating, uncanny thing to me in our culture, especially, again, on the west side of Cincinnati. People actually think you're going to decide, God's going to decide where you go to heaven based on how good you were. Could I just say this to you? You're not good enough no matter who you do, what you do. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So people in this first category, they know they're going, but not because of, it's not because of them, it's because in spite of them. It's because of Jesus. There's a second category of people, though, waiting at this cosmic airport terminal, and I found that a lot of these folks in our Christian Church, Church of Christ tribe, these are people who are wanting to go to heaven, and they indeed have a legitimate ticket that will work, but every day and every minute that passes, they're anxious and they're afraid that when they get to the counter, their ticket won't work because of something they did in the past. I know I'm not getting on that plane I got a lot of luggage. I got a lot of baggage. No way that captain's going to let me on. And every day they live in fear of death. They think, I hope I make it. It's all because of what they perceive their, their goodness to be, not his goodness. So they're going, the second category, but they just don't feel assured about it. They have no peace. But the third category of people in this cosmic airport terminal is the one I'm most concerned about. And this is the one that Jesus is emphasizing in his teaching today. These are the category or kind of people who are overconfident about their own righteousness. And in their own religious pride, they can't wait to get up there and show everybody they qualify with their ticket. I did this, I did this, I did this. But when they get to the counter to board, they're going to be ultimately disappointed because they find out their ticket is rejected because it's a bogus ticket. They said they believed in the captain, maybe even did some things for the captain and crew. They paid for their ticket, but their hearts were not truly converted. Friend, do you know that it's possible to be a a member of the institutional church, maybe even be baptized, but your heart's not redeemed? 
You didn't repent before you got baptized, which is what it says. And therefore, you just came up a wet sinner. (laughs) Nothing changed. These folks' hearts in category three are hard. They've deceived themselves into thinking that their good deeds will be their ticket to heaven. And tragically for them, the airport terminal is in fact terminal for eternity. So my prayer today is basically to speak to all three groups of people in this room or online who are waiting at this cosmic airport terminal. If you're in category one, you know you're going because of him, not because of self. Keep humbly doing what you're doing, encouraging others all the more as you see the day approaching. If you're in category two in this room or watching online, work on strengthening your muscles of assurance and accept salvation as a gift that's freely given, not whether you deserve it because you don't, not a wage. Accept it as a gift and lean into your assurance. John, later on in Little John, over in the end of the New Testament, he said, I write these things to you so you know you have eternal life. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Lean into that, man, because these are the last days. And if you're in category three, you would probably never admit it. You might want to wake up if this shakes you up, because these are not David's words. These are Jesus' words, and you don't want to hear the words Depart from me. I never knew you. Humbly find yourself an authentic Christ follower and shape up your life, your heart, and your actions. Get it aligned before it's too late. Move from the counterfeit to the legit because there's a better way. I didn't want to scare you today. I didn't want to talk directly to you and say that there are people that you know and maybe even in this room who don't know why they're a Christian. They don't know how to become a Christian. They don't even know if they are. And if that day comes, they're not ready. That's what we're in the business for. So I'll simply tell you how to do it. It's all about what Jesus did. He died on a cross, taking all of our sin upon him. And that so should convict us that we do what Peter told some big crowd to do when they figured out they can't make it to heaven without Jesus. If you will believe in your heart and repent and be baptized, Jesus will give you the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit. It's as simple yet complex as that. That's relationship, not religion where you check off things. It's relationship. And so if you have done that, and you remember it, you'll never be perfect, friend. In fact, I would say this. If you're worried about losing your salvation, <laughs> that means you're legit. Because <laughs> people who don't worry about it, they could care less. Those are the people God said, depart from me, I never knew you. And our church exists to help you go all in with your faith. But friend, it all comes down to this. It's all about Jesus. I've given up trying to decide who's going, by the way. You might try it. Because I'm often wrong. I'm flawed. Outside can fool you. 
but God knows the heart. So I'm just acting like nobody's saved till they are. And I'm acting like nobody's real till I see in heaven who is. I think it'll shock you who's in heaven. Someone may be shocked to see you there. It might shock you who's not there that you thought for sure was going. Friend, right now, this is between you and Jesus.